Ken Curlow-Friel, thank you very much for sitting down with us today. Tomorrow we will mark the first anniversary of uh, yourself being elected Ken Curlow in the current government. How have you found the role to be so far? Um, I've really enjoyed the role, Simon. It's been interesting, busy. Uh, it's been a great honour to uh, have been the first directly elected uh, Count Corla. And it's been in many respects quite challenging because we have had a lot of internal reforms here in Leinster House over the period of the last year. We established, as soon as the election was over, a Dáil Reform Committee. Following my election, I was appointed chairman of that committee. And we were charged with reordering how the business of the Dáil is done, having regard to the outcome of the election, the fact that we have very diverse groups uh, represented in the Dáil, uh, and the fact that we have a, a government that is in a significant minority position. Just to, uh, to I suppose, touch on the, on the role of, of the Cairn Curla and, and the office uh, that you assume, I mean, for for a lot of Irish citizens, or mainly young Irish citizens, you know, in, in college or just uh, about to become the, the main voters in, in the country, how would you describe your roles on a daily basis and, and, and the extent of your responsibilities in the Dáil and, and I suppose, beyond that? Yeah, I, I mean, I accept that it's a significant office about which the public would not be particularly uh, well informed. There are, I suppose, three aspects to, to the role. Number one, the highly visible one where you, you chair the Dáil. That's an inordinate privilege uh, to undertake on a daily basis. Uh, obviously, there your uh, responsibility is to ensure the smooth and orderly running of the Dáil. Um, Behind the scenes, then, uh, there is the administrative and management responsibilities, um, administrative and management in terms of how we have gone about the business of reorganization of Leinster House. Um, the houses of the Arachthus here have an annual budget of £123 million, and working with the Secretary-General of the Department, we have a responsibility uh, to ensure that the public get value for money for that uh, expenditure. Uh, and then thirdly, um, there's a very significant diplomatic role that I would have been unaware of myself prior to being elected insofar as all visiting parliamentarians who come to Leinster House are greeted by the Count Corla. Uh, the Count Corla of the day spends time with them, debates the issues of mutual interest between the countries uh, involved. And I have on a weekly basis ongoing uh, engagement with the diplomatic corps uh, that are representing 50 or more countries that have uh, embassies uh, here in Dublin. So. Uh, in fact, one of the most time-consuming aspects of the role is, is that diplomatic one where you're engaging continuously uh, with countries that have an interest in Ireland uh, and in which Ireland has a keen interest as well. In terms of in, in terms of the time that you've come in uh, to office as, as Ciarán Cúra, uh, politics in Ireland has undoubtedly been shaken up and, and has changed uh, in the past year or two with, with, with the result of the election and, and how the government cur- currently stands. Uh, how has that uh, affected your role and, and, and how has it made it different co- in comparison to your predecessors and as well as that do you think that this new layout of government or this new political landscape in Ireland is beneficial for democracy uh, and the, uh, the Irish people? 
Yeah, I think there are two distinct areas there, Simon. First and foremost, the whole issue of new politics and how party Part, political parties and political individuals and independents operate in terms of their engagement with the public and what they do, that's not something over which I have any control. My only a- area of influence is here within Leinster House and when I was elected my simple ambition was to try and create a situation in which the citizen at home in their kitchen uh, or their living room in Kildare or Kerry or Kilkenny looking in, watching the Oireachtas, would be able to say that the business of Parliament, the business of the Doyle, has been done in a smooth and effective and professional manner, that they would look and say and see uh, that their parliamentarians are highlighting the issues that are important to them and that the issues that they're highlighting are being progressed. That would be my great ambition in terms of how the Doyle works. Like you said, uh, a big part of your of your role here in, in Leinster House is, is, of course, meeting with foreign ambassadors and and, uh, and and diplomats. What what perception do you get from them? You know, meeting them on a regular basis of of Ireland's place in Europe and and the world as a whole, uh, especially with current kind of political landscape that Europe is. Uh, they uh, think Ireland has a has a, a big place in in the world now as it is. Yeah, I, I think internationally Ireland has a good reputation. Uh, it is, It has got a high standing. I think people look at the last uh, decade or, or so uh, and see that Ireland struggled manfully with the massive economic uh, turmoil that we had here and have begun to emerge from the other side of that. And insofar as they admired us during the years of the, the Celtic Tiger for having achieved the levels of growth that were achieved then, I think internationally we have won admiration for how we have dealt with the with the difficulties and they see Ireland as a growing economy. Um, there, are, there are also, I, I think, international concerns about issues around the widening gap between the rich and the poor. Uh, the need to ensure that we have a more just uh, society here. But there is also a lot of international respect for the uh, areas of work like uh, development aid and peacekeeping that we have been engaged in. In a recent visit uh, to the Middle East, I met with the Secretary General of the Arab League, uh, who was um, really uh, highly praiseworthy of uh, Ireland's peacekeeping initiatives spoke with great praise for the Irish people for the stance that we had taken in relation to the Palestinian uh, issue. I meet with African ambassadors on a regular basis and they are deeply appreciative of the um, development aid role uh, that Ireland has played. Um, So I think there's a lot of international respect, uh, a lot of desire on the part of many countries uh, to uh, have Ireland uh, to, 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 to be able to benefit from Ireland's friendship and to have Ireland as a partner advocating for them in the EU, EU and supporting them in the EU. Just in regards to uh, international relations, uh, something that has popped up for Ireland in recent times is uh, the case of Ibrahim Halawa, who's been, uh, whose trial has been postponed for the 19th time in recent weeks. What has your role in that uh, entailed in terms of, a, of, a, of an Irish ambassador to that case? And do you think there's ever likely to be a case where he will be uh, able to come back to Ireland? Okay, well, as you probably know, that in early January, I led a delegation of members of the Doyle uh, to Egypt 
where we had the opportunity to have a series of very high-level meetings. Um, we met the president, uh, President el-Sisi of uh, Egypt. We met uh, senior directors in the Homeland Security. We met a series of government ministers. Um, we spent time in the jail with Ibrahim Alawa. We discussed his circumstances, his um, desire to, to be freed. We got an absolute assurance from the President of Egypt that on completion of the trial he would be released home to Ireland. Uh, I absolutely accept the assurances given to us by President el-Sisi and indeed by the other political figures that we uh, met with while uh, in Egypt. The difficulty is that Ibrahim is facing trial with 490 other accused. There are 600 lawyers involved in this particular case uh, and the, the, the scale of the trial is such that we have seen these inordinate delays. I mean, the delay, in my view, is one that puts the situation into a, a, an area where you couldn't but conclude that, that uh, it's contrary to natural justice that somebody would be denied an outcome uh, for the length of time that he has been. Our key interest in this is that Ibrahim was a 17-year-old Irish citizen, Irish-born, Irish passport holder. Um, so w the Irish state has an absolute responsibility to uh, to look after his interests, and we have been trying to do that. And I am, I am certain as well that the Department of Foreign Affairs has done everything that it possibly could do uh, to support him. Uh, in, in, in his uh, situation. I have to say as well, Simon, that I've been quite frightened in a way by the response I've had on social media in the aftermath of the visit uh, to Egypt and indeed beyond social media to people contacting my constituency offices, complaining about the fact that we visited, complaining about the fact that we went out there to support this, this young man, talking about the Muslim Brotherhood uh, and basically showing a level of racism that is quite frightening and that is alien I think to the goodwill and the the, the, the common decency of, of the Irish people but people seem quite willing particularly on social media to, to vent this invective against someone who they perceive to be belonging to another race but who is in fact uh, a valued Irish citizen. It, it seems to be a recurring uh, argument uh, uh, for and against Ibrahim uh, Halawa uh, in, in, in the sense that uh, we believe that he is an Irish citizen and he, he, he is uh, fully within his rights, obviously, to have a fair trial and then return to Ireland. But the uh, the modern day uh, uh, political landscape of fear of of uh, of, of these terrorist organisations. Uh, do you think that uh, they they have any right to to be worried about uh, the kind of allegations put put against them? Well, I don't believe for a minute that Ibrahim Halawa is a terrorist. I, I don't believe that for a minute. But I I'm uh, I was at pains while in Egypt, and I'll say so again. We are not judging him in terms of the accusations that are being made against him. That That is a matter for the Egyptian court. The Egyptian court will make its finding, whatever that finding is going to be. I respect the fact that the Egyptians have their own legal system that has served them well uh, over the centuries. Um, it offends me that this young man has been left so long waiting for an outcome. But I will also point out that as we press uh, in every way we can, 
to get a speedy outcome for him, knowing that when the trial is over, he will be returned to Ireland. The other side of that coin is this. Many of his co-accused, if found guilty, will be sentenced to very long periods in prison or in some instance possibly even sentenced to death. And that is something of which I am profoundly aware. You touched on uh, your, your meeting with the, with the United Arab Emirates uh, delegation that you met with. And of course, with yesterday being International Women's Day, you met with the first uh, woman speaker of the House in the United Arab Emirates. How, how important do you think that is for part of the world where it is um, deemed to be very conservative and do you think that is a sign of uh, equality moving forward in the right direction? Absolutely. Doc, Dr. Amal Al-Kobasi, who was here and spent four days uh, in the country with six other members of the United Arab Emirates Parliament. Remember, the, the Emirates Parliament is made up of 40 members only and seven of them spent four days uh, in Ireland. So it was a great privilege to have her here. I really enjoyed the time I spent with her and we travelled, for example, around County Kildare looking at a school, um, a heritage site and we visited Kildangan Stud, which is owned by the ruler uh, of, of Dubai, Sheikh Mohammed al-Maktoum, who is Prime Minister uh, in, in the Emirates. I thought she was an inspirational figure. Uh, she has been a leading academic uh, she was uh, one of the first women elected to their parliament and is the first female speaker or chair of an Arab parliament. So she is uh, leading the way uh, for women in, in the Arab world and she's she's an admirable person and uh, entitled to all the support we can give her. Speaking of another um, speaker of the House across the pond in the UK, John Burkow, uh, just really quickly, he, he, last month he, he said that he was totally opposed to uh, President Trump uh, speaking in in their House. I suppose just from from your own point of view, in in the role that we have, or the role you have here, that's the mirror image of his. Do you think he is within his right to do that as a neutral speaker of the House if uh, he thinks that? a character like President Trump would totally oppose the values of his of the citizens he represents? Well, um, I, I met John Burkow shortly after I was uh, elected. In fact, I, I went to Westminster to to have a chat with him. Uh, so he, he is a formidable, capable uh, politician. Uh, do I think he was right? Yeah, I think the system in the UK allows for that level of outspokenness uh, on, on the part of uh, the, the speaker um, I've no difficulty with, with him doing that conscious of the fact uh, that we would approach that issue probably somewhat more delicately here for example um, I felt that Theresa May should have been invited to uh, address the Doyle on the Brexit issue and I wrote to the Taoiseach asking him if he would extend that uh, invitation uh, which I believe he subsequently did. So I suppose um, my approach to that, uh, given the traditions of this office, would be more more diplomatic and more low-key. But do I have a view on these things? Yes, of course I do. Do I express them? I think I need to be very careful because the Ceann in the Irish situation should not attract uh, controversy, should not put himself in a position where he is in any way divisive within uh, within Parliament. Absolutely. Uh, just re- really quickly uh, on a final note, um, with, your, with your remaining time in office, uh, whenever uh, you know, the time frame of that is, 
how would you uh, like to proceed forward from now in terms of kind of marking your legacy on the role? I, I, I know that you've obviously done work with Trocra in conjunction with Trocra for an African poverty project. Would similar projects in the future be popping up or what else would you like to do in your time? Well, the first thing I want to do is to uh, ensure that we can do the job of chairing the doll effectively and that we, we deliver on the reform package. That's that's number one priority. That's the first uh, and most important uh uh, objective. Um, in terms of um, other projects, the previous Concordia have promoted uh, and developed the uh, the National um, Courage, Courage Award, Bravery Awards. Uh, that's something I have been developing, as you rightly say. I've initiated the Concordia's African project in um, consultation with Trocra, where we're uh, developing a self. Well, we're we're supporting an already existing self-help project in the Tigray province of uh, northern Ethiopia, where the people are constantly at risk uh, from droughts and uh, from lack of food. Uh, so I want that that project, which is doing amazingly well at present, I want that to be continued. And I have also a keen interest in developing a disabilities employment programme here in Leinster House. Uh, traditionally, uh, public agencies, public bodies, uh, public authorities were supposed to employ 3% uh, of their workforce uh, from amongst the ranks of people with disabilities. I think that rarely rarely happens. It certainly hasn't been a major feature here in Leinster House and I do want to see through uh, to fruition the development of a disabilities uh, programme here where we have people with disabilities working throughout the organisation. Thank you, Thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank you, Simon.